You're listening to the Spiro Avenue Show. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch our full shows and clips and highlights on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for watching, and I hope you enjoy. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, thank you for making us part of your day. How we looking, Ben? Producer chair, first day. We looking good today? I'm really excited for today. I'm always excited to be with you guys. Uh, I have a conga line of incredible guests on this show. We've had at least 15,000 views on all of our shows so far. I don't know where these people are, where you're coming <laughs> from, but I'm grateful for all of you. We're rolling early. I love it. I'm thrilled. And thank you for your support. When we had this show kicked off, when it was just a little itty bitty audio podcast and we didn't have any graphics and I had a producer that was like 12 years old and you couldn't see my pretty face, we had a little man by the name of John Wharton on this show and it was the most popular show that we had done to that date and probably in terms of the critical response still to this day, the most popular Spiro Avenue show, we're running it back this time with a little more, you know, gadgets and gidgets and uh, things going on in here. So with that said, welcome to John Wharton, former Detroit Red Wings trainer and a good friend of mine. Welcome into the studio, John. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, Ben. Thanks for having me back. We're happy to have you back, John. I got to tell you, my friend James Gorman is a huge fan of the Red Wings and has been bugging me since our first episode like two and a half years ago to get you back. And we've had like four different iterations of this program. We've we've punted it and brought it back, punted it and brought it back. And he's been in my ear that whole time saying, I got to get John Warren back. <laughs> and I said, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Here we are. You're in the studio. I want to dive right into what's going on. It was sort of uh, cooled off a little bit, but still on a lot of people's minds. The NHL culture is sort of following in the footsteps of the NBA, the NFL, uh, you know, with you know, protesting, sending out games, they seem right. to be a little more reluctantly doing so. What do you, what's your whole take on the NHL scene now with what's going on? My, my feeling is that they're trying to keep up with the other leagues. Uh, you know, if I go back to my time in the NHL, which was, you know, 18 years ago, it's, it's crazy. I've been out of it longer than I was in it now. But, but looking back, I didn't really see the problems that they say are there now. And uh, when I also look at it, I see 25, 26 African-American players. I see 43 or 44 players of, of color, of minority. Uh, and when I, you know, 2002, there was probably seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, and I also, you know, I look behind the bench and I look in the locker rooms and I see, you know, more diversity in there, which is great more female, more people of color. Uh, so I see hockey moving in the right direction in that regard. Uh, I don't think it's moving uh, fast enough for a lot of people. I don't think any, <laughs> I don't think anything in life or any, any pro sports are, are moving fast enough in, in terms of diversity for everybody. But when I look at it, I think the NHL is, is making a, a lot of the right decisions. Uh, when they start talking about changing the blue line to black, you can, uh, you can call me out. <laughs> you can, you know, you can, I'll sit that one out. You know, I well, think yeah, when you, exactly. when you get to that level, you're, you're creating, you're, you're investigating an issue that just isn't there. So nobody looks at the blue line in hockey and thinks about police. 
officers. I didn't think about it that way until this was brought up. Right. And and my whole take on the thing is I'm all for, I mean, anyone that is against, you know, opening their doors to as many people as possible, as many people that are interested in a sport, you know, I'm against them. I I think anybody uh, of good spirit would say that. But I I think if you're going to make any type of gesture, it needs to be meaningful. It has to be somewhat impactful. I don't know what switching to a black line does. I mean, if you want to make impactful change, maybe like we're going to say, look, there's no uh, rinks in, I don't know, south side of Chicago. Like we're going to put up something there and have a scholarship program or what. I mean, I'm obviously spitballing, but Mm -hmm. I I just I I like to see some tangible change. And I don't know how enthusiastic the NHL really is with this stuff, but it is good to see like at least some effort made to to that. It it is good to see. The thing that I really like, uh, because I don't I didn't see it in the room and I don't think that it's a problem in the rooms. There's probably isolated incidents here and there, but in the stands, it can be a real problem. And I do like that they have uh, initiated and they follow through with a zero tolerance policy. Uh, you know, what happened to uh, Smith Pelly uh, in Washington is unforgivable. You know, uh, another player had a, a banana thrown on the ice in his direction. That stuff. Man, it was Wayne Simmons, I think, Wayne when that Simmons, happened. Correct. Yep. In, in Philly, I think. Yep. That that stuff just cannot happen. It's it doesn't just set the league back. It sets humanity back. So. I, I was really pleased to see uh, the zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy put into place in that regard. I, and I agree. I, there's just no room for that. No. So you've moved into a different life. You're a licensed contractor now. You right. got your hands dirty. You've get, you got beautiful <laughs> jobs all over the place. I think you. your your intrigue to a lot of the people, at least the listeners of this show, is you know your past, your extensive history with the Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, and echoed by many others. The class, not just of the NHL, but of all of sports in that time frame, 90s to early 2000s, put them right up there with the Yankees. I mean, 1A and 1B. You had a a ups, you know, close and personal view, see, experience of this day to day for 12 years, correct? Correct. I got that right. From 1990 to 2002. So many stories we could dive into. Just give me... Give me a little bit of background on, let's start with the Russian Five. We had a lot of requests to bring up the Russian Five. I think they are perhaps the most endearing and and continuing legacy that you can extract from that era. Mm-hmm. You were there when it started. I believe it was, I have it. It was October 27th, 1995. In Calgary. In yeah. Calgary. 3-0 yeah. win. Yeah. Scotty Bowman deploys all five. Do you remember the lead up when it was announced that Bowman, did he put a little piece of paper on the board in the locker room? When was that revealed to you and what was the reaction? Uh, Dave Lewis would come in and put the lines on the board. Uh, there was assistant a lot of coach for you. Assistant you coach. Yep. Yeah. Th- there's, there's a lot of talk and obviously there's a lot of different uh, line changes in practice. So leading up to. Uh, and, and if you've ever been to an NHL practice, uh, there's, you know, for five, for five or four offensive lines, and maybe five will practice. But for four offensive lines, they'll, you know, there'll be a, a powder blue jersey for one line, a red jersey for another line, an orange jersey. So we started to see the uh, five, I think at the time, I think they were five gray jerseys hanging in each of the Russian player stalls and practice for about three or four days straight leading up to that trip to Calgary. So we started getting an idea that I, I think he's going to put them together. I think this is, this is, there's, there were, uh, leading up to it, there was a lot of talk about it, but 
and they had played together a lot in practice. But when we started to see the line, you know, the jerseys hanging in the stalls for each individual player, because that, you know, that's the line you were on that day. Uh, you know, if, in, before that we would see, you know, uh, Doug Brown with two of the Russians or we, you know, and we saw that in the later iterations, he, he was actually nicknamed Brownoff because he was kind of the sixth, uh, the, the Russian sixth man. Uh, um, so we started seeing some lead up to that in practices. And uh, it was funny because we'd see all five of the gray jerseys together and then we wouldn't see them. But they were so, practicing so together, right? Practicing so they're together, they're, okay. but then they wouldn't for a couple of days. And we're like, what's going on? But that's, that was Scotty Bowman. He was always keeping people guessing. And then uh, that morning in practice in Calgary, when Dave Lewis put up the lines for that night and the, and the obviously the defensive combinations, we knew that they were going to come together that and play that night. We had no idea how dominant they were going to be uh, that morning. But I, I think as a team, I think we were excited to finally see it come together. And it was incredible because you see when teams shuffle lines, I know like the Pittsburgh Penguins were notorious for it this past season, constantly shuffling their lines, right. trying to get something going. And it can take months, even years for guys to get chemistry. They were good that night. They Correct. debuted October 27th, 1995, and they yeah. were a very good line on October 27th, 1995. Yeah. They were on the ice for two of the three goals in that game. They were the reason, you know, including right. the goaltending that Detroit won that game. What was there? Was there any type of fire? Was it like uh, there's that story with the Fab Five for you know Michigan basketball where they see them listed? Steve Fisher, the coach at the time, you know, lists all five on the board, mm -hmm. and the players all say, you know, oh, it's going down today. Was I think Jalen Rose's right. quote? Was there any like buzz about that when it was actually formally announced that those five are together? What was the reaction? There was there was buzz. I think there was a, a greater media buzz around it because it was, you know, it was a novelty thing. The five Russian players uh, had never played together in the NHL. So, but we had, like I said, we had started to see it and then we didn't see it and then we'd see it and then we wouldn't see it. So we were like, you know, we didn't know if it was going to happen or not inside the dressing room. So when it finally did happen, it was like, all right, let's, you know, let's see what they got. We actually, we we knew what was going to happen. You know, we knew uh, <clears throat> their style of puck possession and, uh, you know, not letting the other team uh, touch the puck for shifts at a time, not seconds at a time. Right. But, they, you know, the opposing team, you're in the NHL and you don't touch the puck for an entire shift. Uh, that says a lot about the Russian five. You know, it's the skill level at that level is is incredible. And you got guys who've been playing the game since they were three years old and can't touch the puck. So yeah. we were, we were excited, but we were also, we, we were also expecting to see what we saw. Yeah. Which is, I mean, the fact that it clicked so fast was shocking to maybe people that weren't close to it, but you know, someone like you that was in there every day, maybe not so surprising to you. I mean, I remember when they traded for Larry Onoff, who at the time was a 34 year old center, they traded Ray Shepard for him. 50 goal scorer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was like, uh, I think averaging 35 or four. I mean, he was a big time goal scorer, averaging right. 35, 40 goals somewhere in that ballpark and had reached that, that 50 level at one point. 
it, people thought, you know, for this 34-year-old Larianoff who didn't have the gaudy numbers, but, you know, Scotty knows a lot more than dopes in the free press or dopes like me. Maybe not you, but dopes like me. He knows a lot more than me, I'll guarantee uh, you. Uh, he knows a lot more than most people, John. <laughs> but I will say that was something that even as like a kid, I mean, I was probably like seven when that trade. I remember Detroit fans at the time, my dad was in the... 11.30 at the time, WDFN Sports Radio, mm-hmm. were going nuts about the Ray Shepard trade. Like they were right. so mad about the Ray yeah. Shepard trade. And it's like, you know, Scotty knew. I thought the the way they clicked was just unreal. And, and you know, the documentary on them, they've been so well covered now. Talking specifically about, in my opinion, the best player on that line, and we'll get to this in a second, my opinion, the best player on that team in your era was Sergei Fedorov. 100%. You agree? I agree. You jumped right ahead of the question, yeah, John. 100%. We're totally welcome here, by the way, because we're, in, we're you're in friendly waters here, right. my friend. But I'll, I'll tell you, and I think we talked about this once before, but um, one of my best friends is a player for the Penguins now, uh, Jack Johnson. Right. He debuted for the LA Kings in 2008, and he had gotten eliminated with the Michigan Wolverines in a tournament in uh, Denver. And Michigan flew home, and he flew west back a little bit farther to L.A., mm-hmm. played in the NHL two days after his last college game. I mean, right. it's almost unprecedented. And we were uh, lucky enough to go. We had a, a pact when we were kids. Like, I, you know, I said, if you ever make it to the league, I'll be there for your first game. I'm dropping everything. So I flew mm-hmm. out. And the ownership put his family and my family up in a suite. It was really cool. And Robitaille just walks in. Now, anyone that knows me knows, like, Luke Robitaille is like one of my five or six favorite players right. ever. Just loved him. And I didn't, you know, I knew he my had son some, Luke's favorite player of all time. Loved no him. Doubt. Just the guy, yeah. just guy scored dirty goals and just knew where to go. Yeah. And uh, so I loved him. I had no idea he would be there. You know, I knew he had the Kings affiliation, but he just walks in the door. Couldn't have been nicer. I mean, just the Class. nicest, most humble guy. Just couldn't have imagined a nicer guy. Right. And I asked him. It wasn't the first thing I said, but after you're sitting with him for 20 <laughs> minutes, I just said, you know, uh, I called him Mr. Robitaille, which he laughed. Yeah. I said, you know, come on. You know, I'm not like 75 years old. But I went, you know, Mr. Robitaille, uh, big fan of yours. You know, thanks for 2002. That was like the best, you know, summer of my life. Yeah. And that was just so fun. Uh, but I did ask him. I said, you played with all these Hall of Famers. You were one of them. Who is the best player on that team? Just pure talent. Not who scored the most goals. Like, you know, if you had to win, the way I framed it was if you had to win one game. Right. And he said Sergey. He said he would have to take Sergey. Yeah. All the respect he had for you know Eisner yeah. and the other guy Hasek. Even he said Sergey was the best player on that team. You agree? I do agree. I mean, I I watched him in practice every day, and I watched I watched him a game. He got he got accused often uh, of taking nights off. Uh, I'll say two things about that. Uh, every player takes nights off. It's impossible to play eighty two games. You know, on average of about three per week sometimes four per week, uh, and be 100% on every night. Uh, But if some players, I'd say most players, take a night off, you don't notice. But when Sergei Fedorov The gap gap was significant. The gap was so big that when he took a night off, and they don't consciously go out there and say, you know, fuck it, I don't have it. I don't have it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm just... (laughs) I'm going to, it's just, it's just, uh, it's an energy thing and it's impossible to get that energy for 82 games and playoffs. And that's why I started, you know, with Scotty boom, after I talked to him into this is starting to rest players so that we peaked at the right time. And we can talk about that in a minute, but, uh, what's when Sergey took a night off and again, it wasn't intentional when he had an off night, it was glaring. 
uh, if Darren McCarty had an off night and no, you know, no disrespect to Darren because he, with what he was God given, he probably did as much or, or more than anybody on that team, uh, worked his butt off. Uh, but if he took a night off, you didn't really notice, you know what I'm saying? That's yep. the, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. And again, no, no disrespect to Darren. Uh, I know he means, he meant a lot to our team and meant a lot to the city. So, but with Sergey, he was so good. He was so explosive. He was so powerful and he was so skilled that if he was off just a little bit, it stood out. Do so, you think he wanted to stay? Cause you guys, I know you left in the same off season. You did. two both, yeah. you've both left in after 02. Do you think he wanted to stay? Scotty, me and Sergey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you were the, probably the biggest of those no, three. No, right? no. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I do. And I, I spoke with him a great deal out in Anaheim after he left and he said he really wanted to stay. He tried to stay. Uh, he couldn't get it done. So that is, uh, you know, that's something between the management and the agent and the player, uh, which I had nothing to do with and wasn't privy and, and still not privileged to any of that behind the scenes information uh, or discussions. But he definitely wanted to stay in Detroit. His, the story as we know it, and, you know, you can correct it or, or shrug if you don't know, but the story as we know it is that he was – shopping himself around, had a number in mind, and Detroit had made him an offer, and he held off. Didn't accept it right away. Didn't say no, didn't say I'm gone, but just wanted to take Mm -hmm. his time and look at his options. Then he came back so many days later, not that long, five days later, whatever it was, a week later, and said, okay, I'll take it. And Mike Gillich rescinded the offer because he resented him declining the initial extension offer, which Mike Gillich thought was fair. Is that consistent with your understanding of how that went down? Consistent, but probably more information than I can verify. Verify. Fair yeah. enough. But Sergey told I, again, you. Sergey told you he wanted he, to stay. He definitely wanted to stay. His, Do you retire? His, his home number? was here. His parents were here. Uh, he definitely wanted to. His brother was here, and you know, Fetter, right? Fetter was here. Uh, he definitely wanted to stay in Detroit. Do you if, think if they should retire his number, John? I think he belongs up also, there. Also, a thousand percent. Yeah, I think he belonged in the rafters at Joe Lewis. Yes. Uh, it was a, sh- a shame that that building went down before his number went up. Uh, I think he definitely belongs, you know, as how many, how many are up there now? Nine? Yeah, I'd have to Maybe. think about it. <clears throat> yep. He's definitely one of the 10 best players in organization history. Uh, I understand there's politics. I understand there's hurt feelings. I understand all of that. But if you're going to retire jersey numbers and you're going to to award somebody based on their their contributions on the ice or on the court or on the field, it should be decided 100% by their contributions on the ice, on the court, or on the field. So I, I don't think it's a no-brainer. I also... Don't think it's going to happen. You don't think it's going to happen. I don't because there's a there's a feeling that there's a thawing there that the grudge was primarily with. I hope I'm wrong. Mike and Marion, but you know Marion at some point is going to die because we all are. Not to be morbid, we all are. at some right. point she's going to pass. You know, obviously your husband already did, and the perception is that Chris Hillich doesn't have this animosity towards Sergey Fedorov. You know, he's was more like a peer in terms of you know age mm-hmm. and demographic and, right. and whatnot. But I, I think it's a travesty they had. 
at uh, LCA, Sergey Fedorov night, I think two years ago. And the whole thing was, maybe it was at the Joe, the last year at the Joe, I can't remember. But uh, he literally just like dropped the puck, like at the ceremonial face off. Right. And they played like some clips of him at intermission and like during certain stoppages in play. Yeah. And it was just so embarrassing given the contributions. That's something right. maybe you give if like, Doug Brown's in town or like some, you know, yeah, no offense yeah. to Doug Marty, Brown. Marty LaPointe, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, hey, it. he's in town. Yeah, and Steve like, Duchesne, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we'll have Steve Duchesne night. You I know, miss we'll, all those guys. Those, those are great guys. The, the, the whole, that whole team, the chemistry on that team, uh, the makeup on that whole team was, was just phenomenal. 1992-2002, right. there had to have been one guy come through there in the winged wheel for Detroit that you just thought was <laughs> a jerk. Uh, prick, asshole, use your adjective as you please. Uwe Krupp. Uwe Krupp was the worst? Krupp, yeah. Krupp was only no there brainer. for like 10 minutes. Yeah. He made that big of a, a poor impression on you? Yeah, he was there for a he, couple of uh, coffee? You know, he, he, he came, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but he, I don't think he was completely honest with his physical condition when he signed his contract here. Uh, and then the whole... The whole dog sledding incident, and then uh, trying to trying to question the medical staff on on his issues, his pre existing conditions that he didn't disclose, and just uh, you know, you know, again, he was a good guy, but if you're asking me, like, was there a headache or was there a problem with with this person or that person? There's probably three or four. Well, and that and probably, probably the biggest one. Well, we're, I didn't see yeah. now, I'm gonna, you know what my next question is going to be since you said <laughs> three else? or four. We've only <laughs> talked about one. I'm going to get to who else. But, I mean, probably the croup thing, it, at least in part, is because what he's challenging was sort of your in your purview. I mean, if he's challenging the medical uh, right. assessment of himself. I mean, I know you weren't a doctor, but you were well, more hands-on. it wasn't just questioning me. I was, we flew him out to see, you know, and then I went with him to see James Andrews, uh, some back, some spine specialists different specialists in LA uh, just we we flew him to the best medical doctors and orthopedic surgeons in the country and they weren't good enough for him either it wasn't it wasn't me it wasn't Dr. Finley it wasn't Dr. Colin it was the collective the, it was the collective but you said he was dishonest what was he dishonest like what do you think he was dishonest lying about how he got hurt or just how he was actually feeling what do you what did you mean by that well I I don't have to be the one to tell, you know, to tell everybody that he was he was found dog sledding during a, lot of people a, during a rehab that, stint while we yeah. were up on while we were on a road trip and he's up, you know, sled racing dogs and his that was his passion. That was him and his wife's main passion. It, it wasn't hockey. It was it was dog racing, dog sledding. So when when that whole when that whole thing came to light, it started putting a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together for us as a medical team. We're like. Oh, all so right. you, you just think all he right. didn't want to play. He just wanted I to do. collect the, the check. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll I, say it. I'm far enough removed. You were insinuating. <laughs> you were insinuating that I just. Yeah. I, we got to spoon feed this audience. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know how people are so bad. So there's at least seventy yeah. percent of our audience right now is like doing three other things. So we, we got to make yeah. this very clear. So you, you've mentioned a couple other people. Uh, you know, in number but not in name. I, is one of them Paul Coffey? I'm dying to talk about Paul Coffey. Paul. I, Paul Coffey is is probably uh, as sophisticated and difficult as a hockey player can be, uh, and I say that in a good way because he, he was very smart. Uh, obviously, one of the best skaters of all time in the history of hockey. Uh, but 
in the maintenance category and he made up with us and you know he trainers and equipment guys everybody gets tipped and paul coffee was here he was top of the tip jar yeah that guy was he was but you earned it you know he spent two three hours a day with me on my table another two three hours in paul boyer's office you know working on his skates and and whatnot but uh it's equipment manager for the uninformed yeah Yeah, right he, he did he did take care of us uh but man, was he a lot of work. His high maintenance. <laughs> so is such a, he was just needy. He wasn't. He wasn't Correct. a jerk. So who, who are know. the who are the jerks then, John? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, hockey. There's there's just uh, you want to go on the other teams. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, we yeah. Can, we can get there too. We could <laughs> just. T- t- you had a story with coffee where I, I you we talked about it last time. I vaguely remember it that he got hurt and the coaching staff. Well, was, yeah, what was, it was that? Uh, it was in the uh, it was in the ninety five in the New Jersey series. Uh, it wasn't. It was even before the own goal. Uh, Scotty wasn't real happy with his defensive liability uh, in that series, and he actually turned at a shot and it hit him in the back of the leg, which doesn't happen a lot to hockey players. Most most of the time, though. They'll, they'll take it in the face before they'll take it in the calf. Especially in the Stanley Cup Finals, right. too. Right? They'll yeah, take it in the but, face before they'll take it in the yeah, calf, you know, which yeah. means you, you turned your back on it. So he got hit in the calf and went down, and I went to, to jump over the boards, and I I feel this arm on my shoulder, and it's hand, and it's, it's Scotty. And he's like, you go over those fucking boards. You keep going right past the Zamboni entrance and don't come back. Leave him. So I said, it, this is in the Stanley Cup Finals, correct? So I eventually did get over the boards. With Scotty was just shaking his head at me, but he was really adamant that I didn't do my job that day for Paul Coffey. But uh, you know, that's that's one of the that's that's one of the only times that you know either Brian Murray is the other coach actually who hired me, the, or Scotty, the only two coaches that I worked for that ever ever interf- tried to interfere with. With in my line of duty, and and that's how that went down. And I'll never forget what he said. You know, if you if you go over that those boards, you keep running out that Zamboni gate and don't come back. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's unbelievable. Funny now, but but back then, I think he was serious. Oh, Fortunately, I I kept my job. Yeah, you know, for what seven more years. So, yeah. and you left of your own accord down yeah. the line. But I I mean, Scotty Bowman saying anything uh, in a demanding tone in my ear, I think I'd be you know like shivers <laughs> down my, the spot. Got my attention. Yeah, sure. definitely would get your attention. Yeah. So let's keep it on Scotty. Ben, our producer in studio for the first time with us, running the board. I think Ben has a a little clip of a famous Scotty Bowman moment. We're going to try to dial it up on our digital board here. The audience should be able to see it as well. You, you're in the middle of this, and if we get the clip running, people will see it. And it's one of the more famous clips uh, in that Red Wings era right. where you're at the heat of the rivalry with the Colorado Avalanche. These teams hate each other. You're literally in the middle of it. You're on the bench. You're right. in the middle of the scuffle. We're pulling it up here. Tell me what's going on here. Uh, this fight breaks out. What's the bench saying? What's going on? This looks like uh, – this looks – like uh, 1996, 97 conference finals. That was probably game. I think this was the six nothing game that we won. Uh, they would turn around and beat us six nothing uh, at McNichols in Denver a day after. But uh, this this is typical Detroit, Colorado, right here. There's you know look at all the gloves on the ice. Uh, 
<laughs> it's just a disaster. Sticks like, and gloves and helmets uh, and bodies. So uh, I don't know if yeah, I don't so know. So I, I think what happened here was uh, Shanahan had laid out uh, Corbet and he hit his head on the ice and was injured. So at at this point, it's already six six to nothing. Uh, but earlier on in this game, and I, now I I know what this I know I know what this is. Earlier on in this game, every time Brendan Shanahan would come to the bench, Mark Crawford was chirping him. He was saying things about his personal life and about you know his marriage situation and his <laughs> that's a long know, story. Previous teammate, and I, I think you know what story. Craig I'm, Janney, correct. yes, yep. So. Mark Crawford was chirping about that kind of stuff every time Brendan Shanahan came to the bench off the ice. And he made it, and he made, it was really bizarre. So I, with my towel, I kept trying to flip my towel over the glass and hit that quaff, that perfect quaffed hair that Mark Crawford had. And he was, he was getting incensed. Uh, So this is, it's getting hot now. Here's where it is right now. He's telling Scotty right now, he's telling, He's telling Scotty, you better watch your fucking nurse. He called me a nurse. Yeah, he wasn't a trainer or a therapist. He's like, you better control your fucking nurse. That's what he's telling him right here. And did you see that? That towel whip right there? Yep. Uh, that's when Cruiser Niski, uh, Cruiser and Mike Foligno for Denver, they were starting to go at it. So I, as I grabbed Cruiser, I did one last little towel whip uh, towards Crawford's face. And that's what really set him off. Look at him going over the glass right now. But it's just know, fantastic. A, a, a lot of people don't know what started this, and that was me flipping a towel at his at his lid. So you started this fight? I I I, I take credit for starting that. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And Scotty would say to me after the game, he's like, "What did you say to him? He's really mad at you." <laughs> and I was like, "I didn't say anything. I was just tired of hearing him what he was saying to Shanny. So I was trying to mess up his hair with the towel." <laughs> I, I think it, there there are some somebody who did was able to find uh, to go further back in that game and see me reaching over with the with the towel. I, so you're whip you're so you're I'm like whipping, towel whipping Mark Crawford in the head. Trying to, yeah, I couldn't reach him completely. <laughs> That's but, unbelievable. But he he was pissing me off, and he was, he was going like it was just like you said, you know, that it was classless to be chirping a player about his personal life as he's coming off the ice. Every shift in a six nothing game. I mean, come on, man. It's so bizarre. Just, was he like I, friends I was, with Janny or something? Just trying to get a distraction, and uh, I got it. <laughs> I I can't believe that. We talked about my buddy Jack in that that first game. His first NHL coach was actually Mark Crawford in L.A., and right. he actually had a good relationship with him. He did say that he's never heard so many cocksuckers and motherfuckers in his life. Like Mark, Mark Crawford will just yeah. blow you up. Even if he liked you, he'd be right. like, what the fuck are you doing? You cocksucker. It just, yeah. it was just all practice. So I'm not that yeah. surprised. And maybe he mellowed out a little bit in a, de- a decade later, but like the yelling about Shanahan yeah. and the, the situation, you know, at ex teammates wife or whatever. I mean, that's, that's just bizarre for a coach. You almost, yeah. even for a player, I feel like that's kind of touchy. Yeah. It's, it's hard to cross a line in that in that environment, especially as as thick and as heavy and as as uh, hateful as that rivalry was. So it's really hard to cross a line there. But I just felt like uh, I I was just getting tired of it, you know. And I was like, all right, I've you know. And I, it, he just he kept getting close enough to the glass that I could almost reach over and affect that hairdo. And even if I got a, just a couple hairs out of 
out of line than than I than I did. You know, I, I some of the wind made it move a little bit, yeah. and then Mike Foligno started chirping me, and so I started giving him, you know, this one, you know, ragging on the big bucket that he used to wear when he played, and you know, he had the Home Depot bucket going before Home Depot was going. It's just so. unbelievable. <laughs> like it just and really in hockey, and I I can't think of anything in sports in general where there's that level of contempt now. Where I think no. those guys really, on a personal level, didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. You know, even like Michigan and Michigan State, you know, basketball, the fans are at each other's throats all day long. You're a Michigan fan. I'm a Spartan fan. Like, you know, we don't fight, but a lot of people do. I have like friends that have ended friendships with yeah. people over stupid rivalry banter. Meanwhile, like there's a company called the Players Trunk that sells gear now, started by three Michigan basketball players, and all like the Michigan State players from the last five years are on there, and they're talking like they're oh, tweeting right. at each other, like, "Hey, you know this, you know, buy our stuff," and they're all <laughs> best friends. They're all having lunch. You know, Xavier right. Simpson is having lunch with like Kyle Arns or whatever. Yeah. So it's like it, even the rivalries now, as we understand them, players, you know, in the NBA are are you know fist bumping before Game Seven of the NBA Finals. It's right. like good yeah. luck. Seen like you know, I don't know, Valerie Kamensky go fist bump like Slava Kozlov in '96 right. or something. It's just not. It's not going to happen. The 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 Red Wing avalanche, avalanche rivalry was was special because of the Chris Draper incident for one, but also because there was so much talent on each on each side. So there was a there was a a lot of respect for the other team uh, from a hockey standpoint. And then there was a lot of disrespect for the other team, uh, who they were as people and who they thought we were as people. So it, it, it was as tough a rivalry as, I mean, obviously I've never been involved in one, but I, I don't think I've, you know, I'd have to go through the list of my lifetime uh, to think about, you know, you know, Red Sox and Yankees, but it's different. You know, it's the hockey with the physicality takes it to a whole different level. So I don't know that we've seen that, you know, maybe some of the, some of the flyers and, uh, uh, Bruins, you know, rivalries back then. And some of those, those, the other original six rivalries between Chicago and Detroit, but I don't, I don't know enough about, and I wasn't around enough to feel that level of disgust for not to that extent. Not to that extent. Don't don't sell the Red Sox and Yankees short though. Remember, yeah, Pedro yeah. Martinez did throw Don Zimmer's fat face and <laughs> into the into the <laughs> pavement. But uh, no, there's just there's no comparison really. And it, speaking of the you know the peak of that was in the mid '90s. The end of it, as we knew it, was also you know the end of your reign there, 2002. Right. Going into Colorado, 2002 Western Conference Finals, down three two for all of the hype that that Detroit Red Wings team has received historically in that moment, all Mm -hmm. justified. I think people lose sight of how good that Colorado Avalanche team was. They were defending champions. They had multiple Hall of Famers on their own team, Rob Blake, Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg. They were absolutely loaded. You're down 3-2 going into Colorado against the defending champions who are as loaded as you are. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what the lead-up was to that game, what the mood was like going into Colorado? Were guys confident? Were they comfortable in the situation? I I think Stevie was really dealing with it. His knee was just shredded at that point. And uh, Pete Van Zandt and myself were, you know, 24-7 trying to, trying to piece that thing together and you know we, Stevie's pain tolerance is, is legendary and I don't think he's wired the same but 
the way that he was distracted with that knee injury and the way he led, he never really let the team feel any pressure. I know there are some captains that will come in and they like to yell and scream. And, you know, that for me, that just creates more pressure. And I think, you know, I haven't talked to Steve about that, but I think he probably felt that also, you know, that it, that yelling and screaming really doesn't help anything. It's, it's leading on the ice. And so he was really distracted with, with his knee problem and trying to get himself, you know, which he did. And it's, it's amazing that he was able to play in that series at all, let alone the Stanley cup finals. But, uh, so I don't, looking back on it to answer your question, I don't feel like there was any pressure or any stress at all from the team. I think they, the, we had been successful in Denver playing on the road in that arena, especially. Uh, and I, I still think going back to 97 and, and again in 98, uh, that the core of that team was still there. So they really felt like they, you know, they, they had this. So I, looking back on it, it doesn't stand out to me as they felt like the, the, the one that does stand out was when we were down two nothing in Colorado. In, or in, in, Vancouver. in Vancouver round one that stands out to me because you know that is one of the few times where Stevie lost his shit in the room you know just berated everybody and you know not I shouldn't say everybody he he dished it out where it was supposed to go uh, and the team responded uh, so I, I see John I, I not I don't interrupt remember you John. It being like that I don't remember the Colorado being down yeah. three two going into Denver being anything like. Uh, so Vancouver was hotter. Being down two zip. See, I going heard a story. Vancouver. I heard a story about Iserman, and I thought it, I thought it was on the like the bus or something after game two, that he was actually really calm, not right after the game two loss, but like going either on the plane or what it was either on the plane or on the bus, whatever it was after game two, just saying. Look, we got this. We're okay, but maybe that was after it calmed down. But so he was he was hot after game two in the locker room. He was hot between the second and third period of game two. Okay. So and so much was on the line with that team. I mean, yeah, Hasek took less money. Like you know, yeah, Brett Hall took less money. There were so many sacrifices made. Yeah. Robitaille at the end. You yeah. know, looking for that first title too. And yeah, yeah. That, I can count on one hand the time that that Steve Eiserman, you know, really let loose vocally. In the 12 years I was there, I can count. I, I don't even know if I can count five, you know, yeah. but that's not the leader he was. Obviously, uh, the lead by example uh, variety was more successful for him and for us. His example was pretty good. I mean, one, right. one of the best examples 100%. ever. I, I, you know, my perfect segue, really, my favorite athlete, not just hockey player, athlete of all time, is one of the biggest reasons why Detroit got off the mat in that series against Colorado back-to-back shutouts in game six and seven Mm -hmm. against that uh, high-powered avalanche team. Not much challenged in game seven, fairly, but very good in game six. Dominic Hasek, best goalie ever. Uh, You say one of the best guys ever, right? Is that that fair to say? Yeah, I can't. It took me a long time to find my own voice, so I can't do other people's. But people who can do the Dominic Hasek impersonation, I'll sit and listen to him because – because it reminds me of Dom, and uh, he was—he's just a special guy. Uh, he was fun to be around. He was intense uh, at practice. He didn't want to be scored on practice. If he turned around to take a drink of water and somebody shot a puck 
in the net when he wasn't looking. He was pissed. He'd skate out and try to find out who did that. Really? <laughs> who oh did that? God. He'd get mad <laughs> in practice. So intense. So I I love people like that. But then he can flip the switch afterwards and just be a really a really nice guy, a really good teammate, a really good person to be around. Uh, he. Uh, how many Hall of Famers were on that team? How many have it's, been inducted? I in, mean, if you count, if you think Datsuk's going in. How many have it? gone in Nine? since 2002? I would have to think about it. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's five, Sergey, uh, Fatisov, you know, Iserman, Shanahan. It's, it's at least. At well, least Dom, yeah. Dom was the only one to call and invite me to his ceremony in Toronto. Really? Dom. So Dom, Dominic Hasek invited. Did you go? I did not because I was living in New York City at oh, the okay. time, but I appreciated the call. I appreciated the gesture. It meant a lot to me, and it's just uh, a typical uh, example of, of who he was as a guy and as a teammate and very appreciative of what I did for him uh, in his short stay in Detroit and helped, help, you know, from a physical standpoint, helped get him to the level that he needed to reach to get it, the Stanley Cup, you know, get his name on the Stanley Cup, which was his ultimate goal, so... Which he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah, he fulfilled right away um, and got a second one down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was when they made that trade, you know, they trade Kozlov and, you know, some draft capital to get him. And Kozlov was a hell of a player, in my opinion, perhaps the most underappreciated from that era. If you look back, big player in the playoffs and whatnot. But I digress. I'm 14 <laughs> years old when they trade for Dominic Hasek. Right. On the road, on vacation, happy kid. He was already my favorite player in the league, even though he was playing in Buffalo. I just absolutely loved him. And my dad wakes me up at like 6 a.m. He's listening to his little transistor radio and says, hey, the wings got your boy. <laughs> I said, who? They got Dom. I, I jump out of bed. I'm jumping up and down. That offseason, I can't imagine. You know, you're going into your last year. I don't know if you knew it was your last year at that point, but you're going into. You did. <laughs> did. Okay. Well, that's another yeah. story. We'll, yeah, we'll get to that. But so you're going into that offseason or you're in that offseason going into that season they get Robitaille, they get Brett Hall, they get Dominic Hasek. The team was already loaded, arguably on the brink of a title the year before that Colorado team we talked about was loaded as well. What do you remember about the buzz going into that first training camp with those guys, and, and what, was the, what was that like? Were they, were they even a little bit starstruck looking around like, holy shit, look, well, <laughs> there's Dominic Hasek? We were, ex- we were ecstatic about all the acquisitions that were made that summer, but uh, – w- we opened up training camp uh, and we were doing physicals when uh, Tim Verbeek, Pat's younger brother, came up and told us in the middle of our physicals that a plane had just flown into the World Trade Center. Oh my God. So <clears throat> that kind of, not kind of, immediately, and I get goosebumps when I, when I talk about it because I'm very vividly. Tim Verbeek walking up me. It's like a, a, an airplane just flew into the World Trade Center. We're like, what are you talking? Were about? you at the Joe or where were we you? We were at, uh, we were at uh, Center Ice Arena up in uh, Traverse City. Oh, okay. For okay, so you're in training camp, uh, right? And we had the second floor of the arena, which we had all, you know, tricked out for our our 14 station phys, uh, physical fitness test. Uh, and we're running through the battery of tests, and Tim Verbeek comes up and tells us that. And we're like, what are you talking about, man? So we, there's four TVs up there, so we turned them on right just in time to see the uh, the second plane go into the t- uh, So you saw it the live. Tower. You're sitting there with, like, Luke Robitaille watching the world come to a halt. Right, yeah. And so 
there's guys on bikes, you know, in uh, there's guys on treadmills getting their max VO2 down. There's guys getting their body fat percentage and everything stopped. We just stopped everything. We didn't even finish the fitness testing that day. Uh, Stevie got the team together and got the coaches together and decided what we were going to do. We took the rest of that day off and we go back to the Grand Traverse Resort and there's just people with luggage because they had dropped all the airplanes out of the sky wherever you were in north america you were you were landing so then there were just people lined up to get into the you know grand Tavers resort because their plane you know there were people i remember people were heading to turkey there were some from yugoslavia i mean all over the world we we talked to these people and they had just had to land at the traverse city airport because of of uh of you know 9-11 so yeah with all the ex- not to not to bring the mood down well, it's <laughs> but, part it's part of the story part, i mean it's part, part of the story of what of what made that team so special is because almost immediately after that you know and we started to get back into practice and back into the season and then you're like well we we really have something special here you know this is a, a really once in a lifetime group of players. If even before any of them went into the Hall of Fame, I remember just counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eleven. The guy next to me, <laughs> Scotty Bowman, was going to be the eleventh yep. Hall of Famer on that team, and I was, you know, that's that's half the bench plus one, and uh, that that was mind-boggling. So it was, you know, and that was probably halfway through the year that I, you know, I did <laughs> that little math count, and I was like. This is crazy. And you didn't know Datsuk was going to yeah. be on that list. I probably <laughs> counted 12 because I think I included Vladdy in that list because yeah. he he absolutely would have made that. Oh, made he, he would have walked into it. I mean, yeah, just waltzed absolutely. in. Uh, so I think I counted 12 on that list. Uh, and I was like, this, we have to. Like, this has to happen. Was that you the know? feeling that year? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just you. Was there a sense of like, this can't fail, this can't be made to fail? We have to win, given the sacrifices made. Was that sort of the, what was the prevailing mood and, and sense in the room? It was, you know, just like the, uh, you know, like the March 26th, uh, the fight at the Joe, there was never any talk about it. There was just, just a feeling, just an aura in that room about there's really only one outcome that's going to be acceptable with this team. Uh, and I think to a man and within the organization, everybody knew what that outcome was. And you certainly, uh, you got it done. It, what was your experience in the immediate aftermath? You win game five, Joel Serena's going nuts. Brendan Shanahan buries the empty netter. Right. They're playing the Irish jig, the Irish washerwoman's <laughs> playing over those crappy Joe speakers. Yeah. And uh, my, my takeaway from that is when I, whenever I rewatch that clip, which is like once a week, probably even now, <laughs> it's, it's one of my happiest moments of, of my sports fan life. But they, they show Luke Robitaille right after Brendan Shanahan scores the empty netter to basically seal that game. And he's just he's giving give, the guy next to him a big hug, and he's just got this shit-eating grin on his right. face. He's just the happiest I've ever seen anybody. What was the sense in those first couple of minutes? Was it just like, was it any sense of relief? Was it pure joy? You said you knew you were already out. What was your emotion going through then? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of joy. My kids were my kids were in the stands, so Luke and Brooke were on the ice, and my son Luke had his Luke Robitaille, and he, you know, Luke skated around with Luke, and you know, it's 
just made some memories of lifetimes, you know, for a lot of people, uh, yeah, Luke Robitaille included, you know, he finally got his ring. Dom finally got his, and you know, it was just up and down that lineup there was, you know, Brett got another one. Um, and I think the Illiches were feeling validated for all that, you know, Mr. I had done and putting that team together. And there was, there was a big sense of relief. <laughs> yeah. So there I has think, to yeah, be. there was just a big sense of relief is like, because like I said, there really was only one possible outcome for that group of players. And they were on the brink twice. I mean, we talked yeah. about it already. They, I mean, g- dropping those first two games yeah. at home is, was the key distinction in yeah. that first round. Yeah, Going down, you know, it's one thing if you're uh, on the road, you drop two, okay, we're coming back to our barn. Yep. But dropping your first two, so now I got to win four of the next five and three of them are there. I mean, that's that's no small task. And, you know, Correct. they're a playoff team. They're NHL players too. I don't care how good you are. Yeah. You know, it, there's more parity now than there was then. But still, I mean, it's just it's an unbelievable accom- accomplishment that right. they got off the mat. It would have been easy to, you know, yeah. I think, panic in that moment. But yeah. I want to finish on Hasek, uh, you know, and then we can move on because I have to get a little more Hasek in there because <laughs> that's my guy. So you guys have to bear with me. But Dom Hasek, it was a couple years later. You have some story during the lockout and the World Stars. What oh, yeah. was that about? <clears throat> there was a lockout, and uh, Wayne Gretzky had put together this World Stars tournament. 2004. Uh, 2004. Obviously, uh, current NHL trainers were forbidden from, you know, working that tournament. So I was asked to go along. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I think we played 14 games or 12 games in 17 days in 12 different cities in Europe. Uh, you were busy so in Asia. It, it was, it was amazing. So I was busy, but, uh, we had one day off or no, we had three days off and one of them was in Prague. And so Dom gets the guys together and he's like, you know, we, I've got a special, I've got special event. Again, I can't do the, the dominator. Uh, I don't know if I want to embarrass uh, <laughs> myself or try. It's like I, some people sing in the shower. I do Dominic Cossack impressions the, in the shower. one of the best accents ever. So. Yeah. I come but here he, to win cup. That's what he, <laughs> his press so conference. Like, you guys, you, you got to come to this place. You got to come to this, this castle. So about 12 <laughs> of the guys, Ty Domi was there. Uh, Martin Brodeur, uh, there's some of the, some some guys that you know I had heard were good. Were Keith Chichuk, this guy I heard were good people, and I really had to agree with them after the fact. Ty Domi is one of the one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. Jerk uh, on the I, ice, and I but, couldn't stand him when yeah. he was in Probert one and Probert two. But Ty Domi is you know one of the coolest people I've ever met. Uh, so he was there, and uh, so there's like twelve of us that. Uh, massage guy and equipment guys and we're going out to this castle and it takes us like two hours i swear none of our phones are working like nobody's got any cell service we're on like beaten roads and like there's like rocks so we had to stop and get out and move a couple rocks out of the way for the bus <laughs> and like now we're like where the hell are we going <laughs> you know so sure enough we come out of the wilderness and we pull into this this castle and we go in, there's a huge buffet, and there's, like, all these tables, like, 14 tables. There's 14 guys, and there's, like, 14 tables. And each one had the most smoking hot Czechoslovakian woman you're ever going <laughs> to see in your life. And we're like, 
kind of buffet is this, Dom? What is going on? Oh, <laughs> it's some kind of buffet, I, so I guess. It was it was awkward, extremely awkward because nobody could talk to anybody. But you know, if if you could, you could. <laughs> you know, it was just uh, so. Long story short, you know, everybody gets back on the bus because nobody, you know, had the balls to talk to the smoking hot Czech oh, women. That's where the story ends. Yeah, yeah. It was. Just, I mean, it's just so bizarre. People it's were like, people were getting excited for hey, that. Dom was the team guy, though. You know, he did put out the buffet. I mean, the food, the girls, the castle. It was. It was. What was awesome. his, what was his end game though? Was the idea I, that you guys were to bed these women? Really, the, I never actually talked to him about it. That's what makes it a great story. Let's call him. Can we get him on the line, Ben? Was, I, I'm dying to know what the end game was, was for that. So cool. I and, like uh, that your public version of the stories that you guys said. Oh, thanks, but no thanks, and packed it up and left. Yeah, it was some just, people will not yeah, believe that, but no, I. That's what swear, I would say to John. It's, it's uh, like, yeah, right. I wasn't there. It was, it was awkwardly cool. We had a great dinner. Yeah. Uh, they sat down. They had dinner with us. But that was. It was just the, the visual of just walking in there and just like, what is this? I, it just. Like, I what, can't even imagine. Like your on? life is so much more interesting than mine. Like I just. <laughs> it was you so know, crazy. My God. My but, God. Yeah. That you know, Dom. Dom was a team guy. He was. He was good. That. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's the ultimate teammate, I guess. Right. I mean, he he was a good wingman, I, yeah. I suppose. But uh, <laughs> he yeah. tried. Uh, best best ever. He was the any best failure, ever. Any failure on a teammate's part was their problem, not Dom's. So it was interesting. Dom set it up. You guys had the second best goalie of all time in Martin Broder, Broder there too. So it's mm-hmm. you know. I, some people say number one, but they're crazy. Another um, great guy. I'm sure he's great. Yeah, he's, 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 he's just he's, a superhuman. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. It's it's cool to hear that the second best goalie of all time is a good guy too. <laughs> so anyway, I you know it's just it's a perfect segue to like I'm I'm fascinated and I have a little bit of my own experience just by proxy of being around the NHL lifestyle and, and what those guys are like. I know eh, I missed you by about. Six or seven years, you know, you were done in 02. Jack goes to the league in 2008. And we had in our friendship group for about 10 years, we all turned 21. We went to Las Vegas every single year, once a year. You know, Jack obviously didn't have a lot of free time. So, you know, he's in the league. So every year, you know, three or four of us, we get together, you know, bounce around different hotels. We have fun. It was actually like a pretty PG trip, believe it or not. Right. Like I'm not doing the John Wharton where I'm just pretending that it was a PG trip. It actually wasn't. No, it, was PG. it was pretty PG, yeah. but we're at the um, Mirage one year having a blast. And, and Jack says, you know, I got some teammates in town and I'm not going to name names, but he's got some teammates in town from the LA Kings. We're like, okay. So we end up bumping into them. Didn't plan it. We, we knew they were in town. We ended up bumping into them at a nightclub at the Bellagio and there was a guy uh, on that team that was engaged to a famous person. Maybe people can figure it out. And this Got is it. not this is not inside baseball. This is like my own experience. Uh, so if Jack, Jack <laughs> I think he's watching. Jack, don't be mad because I saw this. I'm not outing you. This was actually yeah. me witnessing this. But, uh, you know, and had three women just like all over him and he was wasted. And another guy on the team was uh, just dancing up on everyone right. that he could find. And um, he, one of the guys on that team is playing blackjack. So we leave the club. We see him at the blackjack table at like 2.30 in the morning. We're like, we're done. We're just going to bed. We're exhausted. Like we're, we were always kind of like old souls there. So we're packing it up at 2.30 in the morning. His teammate sitting at the blackjack table, just like hand on his face, just looks like, I can barely, he's propping himself up with his fingers. He's exhausted. He's wasted. So we say hi to him. And then we go upstairs like, all right, we'll see ya. So. 
eight thirty, nine o'clock the next morning, we pop up, time for the breakfast buffet. We only slept five, six hours, but we're good. We're ready to go. We're young, like 22, 23. And we're, we're bumping. We go downstairs. Same exact blackjack table that we left this guy at, Jack's teammate. He's still there at an even more slumped position at the same table. And Jack goes up to him and says, did you ever leave? He goes, I got up twice to piss. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, I got up twice to piss. He goes, I got to get out of here. It's wearing me out. So, I mean, I, and I have other stories that Jack would decapitate me if I told, yeah. you know, uh, on a broadcast. But, you, you know, what know, they you, say. What happens in Vegas? Well, it's unfortunately stuff that I've seen happen in L.A. It's stuff I've seen happen in a lot of cities, you know, going to visit them. But, you know, obviously boys are going to be boys in those those pro leagues. And, you know, even though I was uh, a few years after you with my kind of dipping my toe in the scene, I wasn't ever in it the way you were. Mine was once a year, twice a year traveling to see my buddy. You were in that every day. What was your experience with that NHL lifestyle, you know, I know you're open about, you know, your own history that, you know, you were a bit of a partier in your youth. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I was mean, an idiot. Yeah, okay. Well, sure. it's yeah. however you characterize it. Yeah. So, I mean, were you ever like out with the boys drinking? Like what was the NHL scene like for you in the you know nineties and early two thousands? It was exactly what you think it was or would be. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of crazy nights, a lot of, uh, uh, crazy events and instances and I get asked all the time you know are you going to write a book you're going to do right I could write a book but I'm not going to write a fluff piece you know what I mean uh if I wrote a book I want to write a book that's going to be truthful uh you know Dr. Finley Dr. John Finley team physician bless his soul great man he wrote he wrote the book about you know the Red Wings that you know, would be the PG or the G version. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've just decided I'm probably not going to write that book because I don't think it would do, uh, I don't think it would do anybody, you know. The you don't want to go there. We share, I'm not yeah. going to go there. No, I, you know, I've got, you know, enough friends still in the game, but for people to think that, you know, it, it's funny, you know, the world that we live in and, uh, the kind of the bubble, if you know, that's in a common expression today, but uh, everybody thinks that it's one way and it's so far different from that, that it's, it's not even funny. So, uh, so that, that team and that era probably, you know, and I wasn't, unfortunately I wasn't gifted the strong, moral fortitude that I've acquired. <laughs> so, you know, I, and, and I made a lot of mistakes. So my goal now is to, uh, help people, you know, prevent people I'm close to and people that, that I want to succeed from making similar mistakes. So, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an open book about that stuff. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty. No nitty gritty. Okay, can I have that, some nitty gritty? Like, yeah. is there one nitty gritty you can tell me? Like, I was out in I don't know Chicago one night. Like, at least give me this because you can keep this general because no no city's going to get offended. Was there one place on the road? You know, you're traveling all over the country where you knew or the guys knew. Like, okay, we're going to Toronto or wherever. Like, parties on. Was there one kind of hot spot where you guys knew it was going to be uh, crazy? We. And Scotty knew this too. Well, Scotty knew 
and that's why he made us stay in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey. So when we would go to New York, we wouldn't stay in the city. He would make us, but a lot of guys would get hotel rooms at the W and stay in the city anyway. Just on their own. Yeah. yeah. They'd stay at the W, you know, very close to Madison Square Garden and just, you know, so they couldn't, they couldn't be late for curfew if they weren't in that hotel. No, that's fair. That's, <laughs> it's one way around. Fair it. enough. Uh, yeah, LA yeah. was probably another one. Uh, Arizona, when they came into the league, a lot of guys were happy about, uh, myself included, the warm weather. The Florida teams, uh, that was – now, there, there's so many great cities in this country, and uh, you can say what you want about whether or not they, they sh- should have hockey teams, but for the most part, uh, fans do support them, and uh, the players like going to them. So, yeah, well, and there's some good options. I and mean, then, and then there's cities where guys would catch up on their sleep, you know, Buffalo, Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Yeah, I've heard Winnipeg. <laughs> Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's cities like that, too. A lot of northern, uh, you know, Canada and northern uh, America, yeah. you know. But uh, anyway, that's it's I was dying to get some crazy stories out of you because I know they're in that no. brain of yours. But I understand yeah, the they're reticence. In the, they're in the vault. I, you know, I gotta say the Hasek one may have been worth the whole thing, though. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a fantastic story. I, which I, I had not heard that. I had never heard that. I don't think we discussed that the last time because I would remember that. Justin, uh, I'm a new grandfather. You are a new grandfather, I'm, I'm so a that's why you're tame. As of April. Congratulations Thank to you. you. So that's so why, is that why you're yeah, so tame? I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I gotta blame the kid then. All right, yeah, I, I, I is boy, boy, girl. Oh, Henry. All right, so I gotta blame Henry. So if you're yeah. mad. For John Wharton's cagey uh, KG, on these answers, uh, Boyd Henry, who you know I'm sure is uh, is a good little guy, but he's, he's awesome. My wife's expecting a month from today, uh, so oh, congratulations! You know, no, thank you. So that'll be number three for us. Awesome. So I think we're just about worn out. I think she's That's done good. with it. So I, we have the easy part, right? You know, yeah. but uh, you know, I I, I want to talk a little bit about you know, and this is backpedaling a little bit, but to Chris Illich. I, I believe you had a relationship with him to you know that you were friendly at the time when you were right. there. Yeah. The the perception is not saying it's true, but the perception out there in Twitter land, which you know, say what you want, it's mm-hmm. there, is that he is cheap, that he is not to be trusted with the rebuild of the Tigers or the Red Wings, that uh, you know, he's never going to spend um, which he's openly said he's not going to spend like his father, but he's not going to spend at all that these are going to be two budget organizations mm-hmm. going forward. I know you don't know for a fact, but having known the man, been around him, you know, grown with him, your similar ages, I believe. What is your perception of Chris Illich? Do you, as the guy, what is he like as a guy? And do you think he's he's going to be true to his word? I liked I liked Chris Illich a lot. Uh, I helped re he had uh, some lower back issues, so he was usually at Joe Lewis at seven thirty or eight in the morning. He was one of my first. Clients. <laughs> One of my first uh, customers in the morning was was Chris Illich and, you know, on the Swiss ball and, you know, doing medicine ball and working on his core, you know, way back in the late 90s. And uh, so I got to know him, you know, on a personal level. I think he's a, a really good person. Uh, at that time, he was running the uh, Little Caesars pizza kits. Uh, still you around. Those, you remember those things? Yeah, still around, that actually. Was, that was what Chris Illich was doing at the time, and he was obviously very successful at everything he's done, but uh, that's what he was doing at the time. So I don't – I never knew him in a – you know, in a – in a. of course he had leadership roles because anybody in that family had leadership roles yep. back then, but I never saw him or really talked to him about, you know – him ending up where he is now and 
running the whole show and making all the decisions. So I can't, I can't speak to any of, of that. I just, I really liked him. Uh, I really thought he was a good and genuine person. Uh, I can't say that about that entire family. Uh, I can say that about Chris. I think he was a really, really good guy. Did you have issues with Mike or Marion? Uh, not until I tried to go into business with Mike. Uh, <laughs> you tried to win. Was that 02? Was that, no, was that, that was what? It, that was in 97 when I opened the training room in Troy. It was going to be, I had spoken to him uh, about becoming a financial partner. I needed some funding to build the, uh, the, the training room at the Troy Sports Center in Troy. And then we ended up getting another one in Trenton. Uh, but obviously I needed his money. So we went in a, you know, a, a 50-50 deal. It was going to be my know-how and he was going to fund it. And in training camp, I got a one sentence fax from his attorney, Jay Bealfield, saying that he was no longer involved in the project and, uh, you know, remove Mike Illich's name from the training room and all, you know, all the legal. And you were already language. like in well, at least semi-deep, I, I right? Had, I mean, I had put everything I had and taken out a second mortgage on my home oh my for the God. build out. How did you stay five more oh, years? Well, I, mean, I, I know got, it's a great job, <clears throat> but my God. Preceding, preceding that, in, in the buildup and the negotiations, uh, as part of our 50-50 deal, I negotiated a five-year contract. This was in 97. I, I negotiated a five-year deal almost tripled my salary because I was at one point making $34,000 in, you know, 1995, I think. And you were back then, for those that don't know you, you know, yeah. cause you were a different era for, you know, we have a lot of people in their twenties that, that watch yeah. like it, you were considered, you know, a lot of people remember Arnie Kander for the Pistons. You were considered yeah. one of the premier trainers in the sport at that time where, I mean, you had features done on you on like past sports and I mean, there were articles written right. about your, your techniques. And so you were a, a very well-respected guy just to give the context of, Thank you, you know, your position. And well, it's just true. Yeah. I just, for the people that don't know, right. you were not just, you know, some uh, Sally pink pants, you know, fill yeah. in the blank trainer. You were one of the uh, considered elite trainers just by your peers at that time, just to color that in. Yeah. I, so that's where we're at in 97. Yeah. I was, I was in the right place at the right time, but I was doing the right thing. That's that's the, the that's the third element of being successful that a lot of people want to leave out, and they're like, "Oh, you were in the right place at the right time." Yeah, but I was also doing the right thing, right? You know, and I was a little bit ahead of you know some of the games in my studies and strength and conditioning. I was the first you know certified strength and conditioning coach in the NHL, and now everybody has five degrees, and we can we can talk about the overemphasis on medical attention is another topic, but I want to get to that so, next. Uh, so Mr. Illich, as part of my training room deal, I had negotiated a big jump in salary with a new contract, five years that ended in 2002. Uh, so when Mr. Illich backed out, I'm like, well, what do I do now? Well, I went to Scotty Bowman, Igor Larionov and Slava Koslov took their, took Mr. Illich's financial positions in the training room. And we opened it, and it was successful. And uh, I got another fax from Jay Beofield after he was no longer involved in the training room, wanting to revert to my previous contract. And I said, "No, rescind the raise." Yeah, I said, "No, that's not happening." Why? How is that even so, a discussion? You know, like, who would even? So when that when that happened, and I mean, I, I in my exit interview, I I put a a tape recorder in in ninety seven or 02? In 02. Uh, in 02. 
I just I wanted it on record uh, because there were a lot of a lot of rumors about why I was done with the team and you know my my personal problems weren't it you know yeah uh, it was the fact and I have Kenny Holland verbatim saying you were done in the Detroit Red Wings organization the day you decided to go into business with Mike Illich so you know I knew like you you mentioned the 2002 uh, championship and you know I'll, I'll never forget standing on that make sure ice. you're talking to that mic there john i'll Sorry. never forget Sorry standing on that ice and just uh you know absorbing all that confetti and all that and that energy know. from that crowd because i knew it was the last time i was going to set foot on that on that ice so did you you knew in 97 that i'm going to finish this five five years is a long time i mean it's you get guys that are pissed you know andre drummond wanted out maybe but he's mm-hmm. you know for the pistons but he's got like you know 15 months left when he realized it like right knowing that you're going to be gone in five years that's a long time did you see him i mean in the hallway at any point was there any awkwardness with mike i can't believe mike Gillett screwed no. john deal i no, never knew I that mean, story either there uh, it's always awkward around Mr. Illich. He's a, a powerful and uh, he, he, very enigmatic man. So, you know, he had an energy around him. So when he walk into a room, you know, in our room, especially, you know, there would, the seas would part. Yeah. So I just, you know, I mean, the, the amount of money that we're talking about is minuscule now. And it was minuscule then. To him. So as long as, uh, so he let me live out that contract, but wasn't going to extend it. And I knew that I had talked to Kenny Holland about that. And, uh, that might be part of the reason why I got into some personal issues with myself because, you know, I, I didn't want it to end. I wanted to stay there. You know, I wanted to be there for one of the coolest jobs. Like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great job. So I was kind of, you know, that last year I was, uh, I was really feeling it, you know, and uh, so it, that probably had some impact on, on some poor decisions on my part. And uh, I'm not blaming any, anybody for them but myself. <laughs> I take yeah. full ownership of, of my bad decisions 100%. Uh, but I think that he, as a professional, Mike Illich saw the job that I was doing and decided that, you know, as long as we're still winning and our, our injury books are still as low as they are. And, uh, you know, we went through the, the first Stanley cup run and we had one man game loss. Joey Coaster had back spasms in game four in Anaheim. This is like nothing that I have back spasms from sitting here talking to you. One man game loss yeah, it's in a nothing. 20 game run in the NHL playoffs where you're, you know, playing every night, every other night for two months. Uh, that will never happen again. It hadn't happened since the following year in 98, we had five man games lost. So, uh, hence the buzz around you, John, that I talked about why you, I, you had a lot of eyes we had, on you. We had a, good a lot. Way. We had a lot of luck. I'll guarantee you that. Modest we had too. A lot, That's very nice. We had a lot of you tough. were good at what you did though. And you had good right. practices. I was prepared. You know, I, my son, my youngest son in 96, uh, would have been three and he had a flu. He had a, one of those just projectile flus and he was dehydrated and we went to the doctor and he gave him Pedialyte and he responded like that. So I immediately took that. I went to practice and I was like, you know, we're going to, we're going to travel in playoffs with three cases of Pedialyte in case we go into overtime. So, you know, it was just little things like that. And guys were drinking Pedialyte between periods and so we weren't getting IV bags. 
So, you know, having fruit and, you know, also when, when we started getting the Russian players, I would pick, I would sit with Igor Larionov. I would take him to lunch and pick his brain about Russian training methods uh, so that I could bring those to the rest of the team. So, and you know, and in the late nineties, we were one of the first teams doing box training and plyometrics. And so I, you know, I, if I was good at anything, it was about being diligent, about picking other people's brains, about looking at the science, knowing what the science was, uh, studying the human body like a machine. It's the greatest machine ever. So if I was good at anything, it was it was all that stuff. It was just being a, a detail oriented. Uh, and we did have a lot of luck. We were very fortunate because, you know, you can you can do all that stuff that I said, and then somebody can run into a goalpost and blow their knee. Yeah, out. it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you take the right so, blow, it doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. So, and then we also had uh, a very tough team. We had a lot of guys who played with a lot of things. So, to say that we had didn't have any injuries, you know, we lost one man game to injury, but we had there wasn't a guy in that team that wasn't hurt. Right. They just. You know, that's hockey. That's hockey. What's the they diff- played with that. What's the difference that you see? Because you've been outspoken about it in the past. You know, the, between your era and what we're seeing now, you've taken some umbrage with how teams, you know, maybe not just in the NHL, but in pro sports in general, are handling their training. And what, what's your issue? Where do you stand I th- on that? I think, the, <clears throat> I think the outside influence has gotten very loud. Uh, so now if you look at, you know, I'll take the Red Wings because they're the closest example to us. If you go online and, and look at the medical staff, there's eight people listed on the medical staff before you even get to the doctors. We're talking about uh, director of health and human performance, uh, two athletic therapists, uh, two strength coaches, that two first massage Mike therapists. Barlis, by the way. Two massage therapists, a physical therapist, and a, and a dietitian. So those eight people were doing what myself and Sergei Chekmarov were doing in 96, But you think that's a bad thing. I do, because the more attention you give something, the more attention it needs. So, and all those people, while extremely qualified, extremely good people, they've all got to justify their salary. So they've all, the more influence and the more directions you're coming at a guy, the more he has to deal with and the more, the less focused he can be on playing hockey. I just think, and it's, again, it's, it's 100% my opinion. I think when you have 25 guys and you have three people doing athletic therapy or athletic training, strength and conditioning coach and massage therapist, that as opposed to nine people, It's just a lot of chefs in there. You there's a lot of saying? cooks in there's that a kitchen. A lot of cooks but in there. But this is interesting, John. And I think there's just, like I, I'll say it again, the more attention you give something, the more attention it needs. So yeah. I, I just, I, you're seeing, and I understand the liability and the insurance and all this and covering, you have to hire that guy and this this girl, and we have to cover that base so yes. that we're not sued. I totally get that. But from just, a practical standpoint. But from a practical standpoint, and I think you see it in the injury reports week in and week out, and not just in hockey, but in, in all of sports. There's just an overemphasis on there's a there's a lack of keeping it simple. And there there really was a keep it simple method, 
you know, back in my day where, you know, we knew what we had to do and we knew how to focus and we knew the science and we knew the, what equipment we needed and Mr. Illich would give us whatever we wanted. But now it's, you've got, you've got two and $5 million facilities that, you know, are, are gathering a lot of dust. And I just, I don't know if, I don't know if the science and all of the push behind all of the overemphasis on medicine is justified when you look at the man games loss and you look at the injury reports, like where, where, where are the outcomes? What are the results? Yeah. If you're focusing on the end result, yeah. it's interesting. Which you should be. Yeah. I mean, that's what really matters other than staying out of court like you alluded to. But we've had on this show, you're, you being one of them, but we've had two world-class trainers as guests on the show. You being one, the other being Mike Barwis, who you talked mm-hmm. about, you know, the director of human perform- performance for the Red Wings. He has that title. And, immensely, you know, immensely talented. Well, very smart yeah. guy. Great guy, too. I mean, he was just one right. of my favorite guests on the show and great feedback on his visit mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, he, he has the story, which he didn't talk about on the show, but when Iserman called him, well, let's back up. Steve Iserman is hired or being negotiated to be hired by the Detroit right. Red Wings. And he's, you know, talking to Chris, and they have an understanding that this is going forward. This is what Steve wants. They they want each other. It's just the logistics are being worked out. So Steve takes a tour of the facility uh, in Detroit, the, uh, you know, brand new facility, LCA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously beautiful. But he, he says, okay, let me see your roster. Like, if, you know, the staff, the staff that we have, training, dietitians, you right. know, all, all the stuff you mentioned and, and more. And he thought that the list was way too short and that their equipment mm-hmm. was extremely lacking. And he talked to Barrowis and he calls Mike Barrowis. He wanted him. And Barrowis flies in, checks out all the, the scene and agrees with Steve saying that you guys are like way, mm-hmm. way behind. You're 10 years behind everybody else. And Barrowis said, I will only come here. And Steve had a Steve had a general thing where I, I need a commitment on a number of levels, which mm-hmm. Chris may do him. But Barwa said, I'm not coming unless you spend X amount. I need, you know, seven of this machine, five of that machine. Right. I need at least four massage therapists. So it's funny, you know, you guys are both brilliant in that field. And it's just he he has a total different view where he right. wants to have a hundred cooks it's, in the it's kitchen. Completely phys- philosophical. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, and I've I think healers are healers, and I, I do think that they are they are God given. You're born with healing abilities, uh, and I think you either have them or you don't. It's not something you can learn or you can teach. Uh, I think I was blessed with those uh, on some some limited value, and uh, but it's a philosophical way to look at it. I just I think. You know, you talked about all that expense and all those bodies and all that energy. Like, then show me, show me the injury reports. Wings were banged show up all year. I'm not saying that as an year. indictment on Mike, but if you're looking at right. the the end result to what you were saying, the Red Wings right. were banged up all year. I mean, right. Mike, Mike Green couldn't stay on the ice right. for five minutes. And I'm not saying I'm not I don't I'm not saying anything against what Mike Barwis is doing. No, neither but am maybe I. Maybe there's four or three other people that don't need to be doing what they're doing. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Right. And there's right. just so there's so many moving parts now that it's hard to keep up with and it's hard to it's it's really you talk about analytics in in sports. So you can basically trace every statistic to an analytic or there's an analytic for everything that happens on the field or on the ice. 
you should be able to do the same thing with your medical staff. You know, how many with what you're doing, how many man games per, of injury per year are you, you know, that would be like the uh, like the uh, war stat. Yes. You know, yeah. You know, wins above wins, replacement. Yep. Yep. So as, as part of that staff, what is what? How much of what you are contributing can we trace to the end result or the the ultimate outcome, which is keeping healthy players on the ice producing at top level? So um, until you can find a way to measure all that, I think that there's a lot of super superfluousness going around, if that's yes. a word. Superfluous uh, is, yeah. I think yeah, there's a there. lot there's a lot of CYA. I'm sure you know what that yes, is. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot of outside influence with now with players bringing in their own trainers in, their own nutritionists, their own, you know, TB12 and all Most that whole example. thing. Yeah, yep. it's, Guerrero. you know, there's, there's just so much of it. There's just so much of it. And I think it's become detrimental to the outcomes. Well, and your, your outcomes kind of did speak for themselves. I mean, obviously the man games loss being the key one. I mean, at the end of the day, like if even if I'm just a cold hearted son of a bitch, I'm the owner <laughs> or the coach. I just want my horses on the ice. I mean, right. even if they have some limitations, it's like yeah. who doesn't, especially at the end of a long season, you're deep into the playoffs. It's like, I don't care if I've been limping around, like get your ass out there. I'm saying if I'm that cold hearted asshole, right. like I want John Wharton as my guy, you know, above anyone, cause you're going to keep him on the ice and, right. you know, at least functioning. And we um, were, you know, you know, with an older team, we were, I was writing up fake injury reports to rest guys, really, so that we could peak. You know, you were sorry because you were the rest. Larry guy. Murphy, yep. Larry Onoff, uh, Fatisov. We had guys that were way up in age. Yeah, and our our you know if you if you look at a periodization chart for a marathon runner, their goal is Boston. Yep. So everything they do goes up to whatever day peaking in, at in the that spring moment in Boston. Yep, peaking at that moment. When I told Scotty, I said, "Ours is the first week in June." It's not getting to the end. It's not making the playoffs. It's not the end of May. You know, it's the first week of June is our peak. Is our So the way we do that, we can't, we don't have the luxury of, of sitting guys during a two month grind every other day. We've got to, we've got to find eight, 10, 12 game blocks where Larry Murphy can sit for six of those where, yep. Nick Lidstrom, who's going to log a shit ton of hours, not minutes, yeah. a shit ton of hours of ice time. We got to sit him for four games. You know, Nick was never hurt. You know, God bless him. He's a, just a machine. But he was hurt on my books because we sat him. And so it took, we had to, we had to get Scotty, you know, in line with that line of thinking. But once he saw it in 97, he was like, yeah. Yeah, we got to. It's incredible he trusted you. Yeah. Like, just because to, <laughs> to defer to anybody in, in yeah. that, you know, point. And he was the de facto GM of that team by all accounts, too. I mean, he was the one that was almost trading eyes. Pulling the and, strings. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was driving the bus. So I don't want to be abusive of your time. I want to finish. 
I don't normally do the gimmick thing, John, but we talked about a little lightning round. Can you handle a little <laughs> lightning round? A little lightning round. So this is old okay. school radio. We're not normally old school radio, but we're going to like the stuff they were teaching me in journalism school to be on the radio. We're going to do a fun little thing. It's just going to be what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say fill in the blank, okay? So I'm just going to rattle them off. You don't have to say one word, but you know, a sentence or two max, and we'll just we'll rip through these. You ready? You feel good? I'm I'm scared. You got enough gas in the tank? <laughs> well, you scared. know, one one two three sentences. Okay. Steve Eiserman, what do you think? Toughness, uh, leadership, and toughness. Uh, I don't think he's wired the same way uh, as all of us from a uh, afferent efferent enter, uh, wiring oh, no. system. The the. The message that you're getting from an injury. Oh, we're, we're getting technical. It's okay. not making it to his brain because yeah. that guy was so tough. And I, he, I was like, how are you playing with that? That knee injury in 02 so, is nuts. So yeah, toughness. Toughness, leadership. Scotty Bowman, what do you think? Uh, smart and manipulative. In a good way or in a bad way? Depends on who you are. Ask Sean, you know, God bless Sean Burr, one of my, Rest one of my in peace. favorite people. Rest in peace. Ask uh, Dino Cicerelli. Ask Paul Coffey. What about uh, Martin LaPointe? Martin LaPointe, yeah. funny. He was always the one sane in the doghouse, yeah. though. I was talking he, about in relation to Bowman, though. Uh, Marty LaPointe, uh, my my third son, Drake Drake was just born, so I wasn't there. And Marty went and told the media that, and they had to call me to confirm uh, that my son was Demetrius. So he made up this, uh, I don't even remember what the middle name Marty gave uh, Helena St. James or what. They're calling me like, is this really your son's name? We got to confirm. I'm like, who told you that? I was like, Marty. So Marty was funny. Uh, Famous uh, for taking team, bad penalties, but just yeah. uh, honestly an underrated guy too. He got, he took so much shit. It's like the guy was, you know, yeah. he was a banger and he scored 20 goals a year. What do you want from Good the poor team, guy? Yeah. yeah, he got shit on a little bit too much, but he did take some bad penalties in the yeah. playoffs, let's face it. Yeah. Colorado Avalanche, not now, back then. Uh, just hatred. I mean, I I can't look at you. You a truck guy? Do you do you drive a pickup? I drive a pickup. I do. You do, do you do, you do realize that the two ugliest trucks on the road are the Colorado and the Avalanche? <laughs> and there's no coincidence <laughs> they, there. They whatsoever. are. Yeah, I'm a Ram guy, so those you're not making fun of me. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> but they're like those old Aztecs. I you know that team. Uh, I despise them with that stupid, you know, whatever. Even today, looking back, you hate them. Purple and blue and gray, whatever that, whatever those jerseys are with that uh, clown logo. I just, I, I can't stand them. One I, of the I worst uniforms like in the league, by the way. Yeah, I, still I hate their uniform. Yeah, I, still, I always I still have. don't like the Avalanche. Chris Osgood, what do you think? Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think Chris Osgood is the like the ultimate line where it's like, if you are even one ounce better than Chris Osgood, if you're even like a uh, half of 1% better than Chris Osgood, that you're definitely a hall of famer. Uh, he's top 10 and wins. He's, and, uh, I know, but it's like you're getting like goalie wins. Look at the team around him. I'm not right. saying he's not, I'm just yeah. saying I always considered him kind of like right at the yeah. line where I think you could go either way. It's, it's like, you know, an old Detroit sports our, radio topic. I remember our very first training camp up in Flint. It was our last year in Flint was Chris Osgood's first. Uh, one of our last year was Chris Osgood's rookie year. And, Three, two or three tests into the 12 or 14 battery of tests, he asked for a bucket because <laughs> he puked. Uh, but then went on to become uh, Mr. Fitness because we would we'd pass out conditioning awards. So 
he was came to us this real scrawny meek little kid but by the time i don't know if you saw him you know at the peak of his career and he had a body on him he uh, really worked it and became one of the Mr. Fitnesses on the Red Wings. So Much better body than yeah. Jimmy Howard. If anyone's seen Jimmy Howard, the guy's like 287 Dom pounds. Too. He's, Hasek? He's, yeah. He's, Hasek was small, wasn't he? Noodle, noodles in a suit. Well, yeah, he was skinny. <laughs> very, I, Jimmy Howard limber. was fat. Yeah. I'm just going the other way. Different yeah. bodies. But yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Hasek wasn't and fat. there's Jimmy beer Howard. can, Mike Vernon. What, well, you know, was I was... nickname because he Let's put, get to him he, now. He was yeah, on the he, list. He drank a lot of them, and he had a body shaped like one. He did not so look like a pro athlete. You, no. <laughs> you look like you see Mike Great Vernon. Guy, those Great. pictures of Mike Vernon holding the Conn Smythe trophy on the ice in 97, it looks like somebody like snuck in from the stands, put on a hockey <laughs> uniform, and, and lifted the trophy. The guy just does not look like a professional <laughs> athlete. And you talk about bad bodies in pro sports. Yeah. Alexander Ovechkin looks like he's a it's just a you know, my favorite player right now. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. His his game is beyond reproach, yeah. but he's got the, like the worst I, body. I, in the I predict he will sign here as a free agent. Really? Not when, when, when's he even coming up? Next he's, year. Is he really? Yeah. I'm behind the times. He's got one more. Well, he's got he's got the the COVID year, and he's got next year, and then he's a that would be interesting. UFA. He, that would be kind of like a throwback Red Wing thing. That would get people believing, even yep. if he is at the tail end. The guy could like from my mouth to Ovi's agent. Yeah. yeah. So I Come hope it happens. Detroit. I hope yeah. it happens. So a little bit of a curveball. Donald Trump. First thing that comes to mind. Uh, convicted. Uh, I know a lot of people would want to say as a felon. <laughs> yeah. uh, Technically not true. I, I, I really do believe that he is uh, as convicted uh, as an American. Uh, he, he cares deeply about this country. I'll just leave it at that. Not, not a charlatan. You, you think he's a true believer and, you know, I like do. him or hate him, he's not a phony. I do. He's, he's himself. I do. Uh, and a success, a, you know, an American success story. And everyone's like, you know, the guy's an idiot. And I said, you, you mean the billionaire who the first time he ever ran for any office ever, he became the most powerful person in the free world? H- highest rated reality yeah. show at the time. I don't know right. if that if he's you, since you lost that, that title. But yeah, that idiot? he's done yeah. a lot of good things for so, whatever you see. So you know. I would say, you know, convicted and very smart. I, and it's, it's funny because I remember the other side, uh, you know, Republicans were always saying like what a, a moron Obama was. And it's like whatever you can say about him. Guy was not stupid. Editor for the Harvard Law Review. Yeah. <laughs> Just let's right. let's let's take it easy. You can call, the, you can call <laughs> these people a lot of names. But when they when they go down the intelligence uh, yeah, lane, I'm, I'm it's out. a bad lane. Yeah, it's a bad lane. Yeah, yeah. Let's stay on Spiro Avenue, not the uh, yeah. the IQ lane with these <laughs> presidents that are all uh, graduates of these yeah. higher institutions of higher learning. Bob Probert, where do you stand on him? Rest uh, in peace again. Probably one of my favorite people. Uh, deeply flawed, personally. Deeply flawed. So I can I can relate to that aspect of Bob. Uh, we, you know, we shared some of the similar addictions. Uh, he was able to beat his and then ultimately uh, didn't get to enjoy the life with his family and kids that I'm getting. So it, it, in that way, it's tragic, but uh, no better teammate, no better friend. Uh, and I think if you ask uh, Danny and his kids, no better uh, family man. Nick Lidstrom. Uh I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect human, uh, so I don't aspire to that nickname. I think they gave that to Nick because he was so so much to so many in so many ways. Uh, class act, one of the classiest people I've ever I've ever been around. 
And was he uh, one of the three and or the four best, best guys? I mean, yeah, he's he's one yeah. of the three or four best guys you ever saw on that. On those teams. I think I mean, he's just... the best defenseman I ever saw play. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I was the little guy when when Bobby Orr was around, but uh, easily the best defenseman. Sean Avery, where you guys stand on Sean Avery? You Sean only you Avery, only had him for what a year? Shit disturber. Uh, shit disturber. Yeah, that's when you I didn't. Think is that, that a guy you didn't yeah, like him or is that endearing? I liked him. Uh, yeah. Was he a shit starter right away, or did he yeah, have to? Yeah, he was just—he was goofy, but he was funny. You know, he—he—he he, he was also, you know, Stevie would have to talk to him because he became a distraction uh, with it with the sideshow. He was perfect in New York and ended up having a, a great career with the sideshow, uh, with with Andy Cohen and all that, and you know his the the internship at Vogue or whatever. You know, yeah. He, uh, He's a fashion guy. Yeah. He has the best Instagram feed ever. Prada. Yeah. Have you ever seen his Instagram feed yeah. where he's going around New York on his bike? Yeah. It just No, that's him. That's, <laughs> that's there's nothing made that, up there. That, that, there's no presentation there. That's no, that's the guy. That's 100% authentic. It's uh, absolutely if if it, anyone it's is good. if you're not like on Instagram, get on Instagram, follow Sean yeah. Avery. It's like the most hilarious thing. He just drives around New York on his bicycle and will scream at people for like <laughs> parking in the wrong spot or <laughs> just he goes, "What the fuck are yeah, you doing?" He, he was a distraction <laughs> and Stevie would have to not a fit there. And, that's not a fit. No. They don't tolerate that no. stuff there in Steve no, Eiserman's locker. They don't like distractions. No, no, no. Uh, so we already did Vernon. That was going to be my next one. But you already tackled him, Joe Louis Arena. Uh, you know, I I've always said this. Like when I when I die, if I die in a car accident, I don't want. I don't want it. I see, I drive down the road and I see, you know, a cross with like, I don't want a memoriam where I died. Yeah. I want people to go and visit where I lived. And unfortunately they can't. Uh, And Joe Lewis will, you know, it's, it will always be a, a home away from home. I would go there when I didn't have to go there just because of the environment and, uh, because of the energy, uh, even after the cheering stopped, that energy that those fans left in that building stayed. And I would run those steps up and down, up and down, up and down. And, uh, I will, I will miss that place until I'm, I suffer the same fate. Uh, but you know, you can, you can call it a shithole. You can, you know, everything's done because we need suites and we need, uh, great restrooms and this and that, but that was home. Uh, and unfortunately, when I'm gone, uh, you know, now I'm building stuff and, you know, people can go and spend some time in the places where I lived. You know, the bathrooms that I renovate, the kitchens, the basements that I'm refurbishing. Those, those, those are places that I'm living now. But I've never lived anywhere like I lived at Joe Louis Arena. I, I called it in an endearing fashion the delightful dump. Like it smelled terrible. It was horrible. But it was ours. It, it, but there were so <laughs> many good memories there. And it's like, yeah. if I could choose right now to go to a game like with my buddies at yeah. either Joe Lewis or Little Caesars Arena, I would take Joe Lewis 100 times out of 100 just for the 100%. environment there. If I'm taking my wife and kids, oh, maybe I drift towards the glitzy and the glamour. Yeah. You know, we're going out to dinner before and yeah. whatever, which I get. And there's something to be said for that. The thing with the Joe is, this is crazy to think. I believe it opened in... 80, 1980? I don't know if you even know, but 1979, 1980. 79, 80, yeah. Yeah, that 79, 80 season. And shutters 27 years later, I believe it was. That would be like Comerica Park. 37. 37. Did I just screw that up? 37. That would be like Comerica Park being more than halfway done with its lifespan. Yeah. 
Thank the, you for the being pal- here to correct my palace. Path. My goodness, the palace is a tragedy to me. I don't, I don't, don't know it, how they. Do you know how what that did to my property you value here? You could have gifted that to OU. You could have done so many things with that building to just. Uh, I live pains me. I live this studio that we're sitting in, which is in my basement, is fewer than two miles away. I mean, you could like walk to the palace if you had a you know maybe a bottle yep. of water with you. Yep, nothing. And in great arena, they had spent all this money renovating it like two years before they shut it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they put, they completely redid the lower bowl seating, big fancy leather seats, big new scoreboard, right. which is in some other arena. They ended up selling it to, I think a university or something, yeah. but just a total waste. But like going back to the Joe, the history that you have there is not something that I think is, is transferred when you move. I mean, you can look at the, the banners in the sky at LCA, but like they weren't one there. And I know Gordy didn't play at the Joe either. I don't know. I think, what, one year in an all-star game or something at the end. But, you know, I, I get that. But, like, I, I just feel... No, it transcends, you know, it's not just hockey. It's, uh, you know, <clears throat> all the friends, the gray coats. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I did CPR on two of, you know, CPRs that that didn't make it. So... You know, we literally, people that worked there literally lived and died there. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget the Steve over Steve Eiserman's overtime goal in Saint Lu- against St. Louis. Uh, I walked off the bench that night in May and got a note from a gray coat stand that my wife was in labor. She couldn't, you know, first overtime put her in labor. Oh, my God. So five hours after that game, uh, my daughter was born. My son, Luke, grew up in that in that locker room. You know, all with uh, with Brendan Shanahan behind the curtain on, you know, we'd call it kids day, but, you know, on the off day and he'd be behind the curtain going, Luke, I am your father. (laughs) I can't even do it now, but he would do his Darth Vader. He's like, oh, and he's like. No, you're not. No, yeah. this is my dad. And how, so, how old was your kid at that point? Luke was four. Oh, man, was that's four so cool. Five. Uh, I was at know, that and, game, and, that Iserman game, that overtime goal. That was my first playoff yeah. game ever with my dad. I was nine yeah. years old. Yeah, There's my, so many memories there. Yeah, my daughter was born five five hours after that puck hit the back of the net. Ridiculous so, shot, too. Oh, you go crazy. <laughs> and I love that. Poor little if, John Casey. We're, we're, we're blessed that Grant Fuhrer was injured. Yeah, well, that, I, yeah. that wasn't Casey's fault, though. He no, had a shutout no, going. No. To the, he had a shut. The goal yeah, was. It if it would have hit sh- him, it would have went right through him. Uh, I, so he had a just, shutout going into oh, the second overtime, I though. I mean, they, I know Eisman ended it, well, like a minute or two into oh, the second OT, but. Snipe. I don't care. You can give up the worst goal in the world. Mm-hmm. If you lose one nothing in double overtime, I'm never blaming the goalie. I don't care right. what happens on the one goal. It's like, hey, assholes. I you forgot five. the score. I'll be yeah. honest with you. Bro, it was one nothing. The score was. It was yeah. at dueling shutouts, and Kerry yeah. had sort of the, the better of the two. I mean, had more shots against him and more action on his end. I mean, I remember that game vividly mm-hmm. now, even looking back. But, I mean, yeah, he was not the problem in that game. But, yeah, just brutal goal and, and right. should not have been playing. I mean, Fuhrer was hurt, like you mentioned. I love – I don't know if you remember that play – the, that whole play happens because Wayne Gretzky kind of fucked up in the neutral zone and yep. just this puck uh, flipped over his stick. Yep. And he kind of – he looked like he was giving it the old college try. I don't know if it was the yeah. old I'm 38 and double overtime try. Yeah. But uh, – Could yeah. call that a lookout block in football. A lookout block? Lookout. Yeah, yeah. I see. I haven't heard that one, but that's actually quite applicable. It's you know that was so. It's just the fact that like Gretzky fucked up that play, which just made yeah. it even better. Right. Uh, Gretzky on no, that but Yeah, team. the Joe, it's – there's so much – you know, there's just the and, and the concerts and you know the just all the events and uh, the surrounding area and watching that grow up and you know uh, the riverfront 
apartments where Osgood and Draper and McCarty and those guys all had apartments and we took the Stanley Cup and you know it's it's like I said it's it it was the the most important home you know that I knew during during that period of my life and and it's I'm, I'm bummed that I won't get to go and hang out and and see it but uh I'll never forget it I'll never forget that place last one best night from 1990 to 2002 in your professional life, what was the best night professionally? Uh, it had to be had to be June 7th, 1997, uh, ending that 42-year drought with uh, uh, <clears throat> and you know the the two the two years or one or two years that we won the President's Trophy and got knocked out in the first round, and you know Lisa Eiserman sitting in Dr. Finley's office till three four in the morning consoling her husband. Uh, you know, just all all the work and all you know, especially on on Stevie's part and Mr. Illich's and the Illich family's part, to build up to that moment and then for it to all release and finally you know finish that off. It's it's probably that night and what makes it's it's also what makes June thirteenth the absolute worst the, of that entire total, time and, and six days later it's what, like yeah, what happened it went from the best know. day to the in worst that entire era to the absolute worst day in that entire era in the matter of a week so it's uh the Konstantinov accident for those that don't know i think most people know where you're going with this if yeah. they're still with us at this point but right yeah i mean vladimir Konstantinov's career and and frankly not technically life but the life as he knew it as yeah, a functioning human 100%. being cut short Yep. That was such a crazy time. I mean, I, I remember there were stories of, you know, Konstantinov is sitting with a bunch of tubes in him at Beaumont Hospital here in Royal Oak down the street. Mm -hmm. and people are sneaking in like phony FedEx packages, just like to, like fans, like trying to get to see yeah. them and stuff. And it's like, that was the most bizarre time. You right. know, people were just so uh, thrown for that. I don't know what you think. Like, okay, you get in, you're going to see this guy laying in a hospital bed. Like, they're going to sign yeah. anything for you. But no, it was weird. It was the most traumatizing thing. Just, and I was, you know, 10 years old at the time. And it's like, you know, you're trying to figure out what happened there. But it's just, that was terrible. So that was, you had kind of, is that the worst night, would you say? <laughs> in your, Not even close. It's interesting that you had a 12-year career and your best night and your worst night were six days Within apart. a week. Yeah. I want to. You said something interesting about uh, Doctor Finley. I was going to end, but this, I got to dive into it for That's a, right. a minute. Yeah. Doctor Finley consoling Steve Eiserman with his no. Wife. He was what in Doctor Finley's office, which okay. was off of the medical room. It was a small, like uh, probably an eight by twelve. Ninety six. After the avalanche knocked him out. No, it would have been uh, Nine, Jamie Baker's goal. Ninety four. Ninety four. It yeah. would have been. Uh, who scored the Toronto goal? That wasn't Bob Rouse, was it? It was. I can't uh, remember. So, you know those. So there were multiple times where multiple she had multiple times yeah. where she, you know, she would come down and he's like I said, you know, I didn't hesitate to describe, you know, the word that described Steve Eiserman was toughness, but in those moments uh, where he had put so much. And for it to end that way was just completely crushing to him. So, you know, going through all those those times and then with the Illiches and, uh, you know, everything that Mr. I did for that team to give us everything that we could possibly ask for with the plane, with the talent, with the equipment, with everything, you know, he uh, so, to, so to see that 
come through for those two men, it was it was awesome. It was a sense of just breakthrough and relief. And yeah. I, I remember seeing that in my own dad, who, you know, at the yeah. time was had never seen them win and was a diehard fan and was there for all the lean years. And I remember that was, he said, the first time he had cried since he was a kid. You know, he was, only, yeah. he was at the time uh, 47. So, right. yeah, I mean, just an incredible moment for so many people. I didn't really have a frame of reference. They were good. I started becoming a fan when I was like six. They were good every year, and then they won four years later. So... I'll leave hey. you with one more Go story. Ahead. One no, more I'll story. keep you here till 2 a.m., John. I'm trying to be courteous and respectful of your so time and I've, poor Ben over here. I've always wanted to tell this story. Uh, so we win in 97. We win in 98. <clears throat> 99, we go up 2 nothing to Colorado. We win the first two games in Colorado. Remember who the goalie was? David Abisher. Bill Ranford. Oh, oh, the goalie for uh, Detroit. Correct. That they had just gotten him at got that, him because that, that, Ozzie that got hurt. That was the Wendell Clark year too, right? Yep. That's right. They traded for Wendell so, Clark and uh, so we, Bill yep. Ranford. So we go up two nothing. We're on the flight home, and Bill Ranford calls me back to the plane, and he says, "Johnny, I'm done." I'm like, "What are you talking about, Billy?" He's like, "Physically, mentally, emotionally, I got nothing. I'm done." So I'm thinking in my mind as I'm walking up to the plane to see Scotty and uh, Ken Holland, I tap Norma, Norm Miracle on the shoulder. I'm like, you might want to get your head in this. You know, you might. Were you the first one to tell him that something was awry uh, yeah. above him on the depth chart? So I go up and I tell Scott, I was sitting, I'm like, I got, he's like, how's everybody doing? You know, because I usually on the flight home, I'd give an injury update. I said, Billy Ranford is not good. What are you talking about? He looks spectacular. I was like, he just told me. He's physically, emotionally, and mentally done. You got to think about putting Norm Miracle in game three. They both started laughing at me like I had like a head growing out of the side of my neck or something. They're like, that's not happening. So Bill Ranford played, and he played – Awful. <laughs> uh, in game we three, had to rush was back in Detroit three then? Three and four, and we rushed Ozzy back five and six, and he's playing on us. So we lo- obviously we lose in four straight, where yeah. I think if we would have taken the chance and just put Normie in and given him that one that one shining moment, you know, if you want to go well, Jim Nance teams here. Teams catch lightning in a bottle exactly. all the time in and that. it would have shocked the world. So I think. I think we rode the Bill Ranford bus in two games, two victories out of Colorado as far as we should have ridden that bus. We should have given the keys to Norm Miracle and possibly three-peated. I can't believe But I've never he, told that story. He, he hits you with the triple threat of I'm, I'm physically, emotionally, and mentally All done. All of it. Just done. Just, he's a like, Johnny, I got nothing basically left. You have, you have a pulse, but that's about it. He said, I got nothing left. I'm done. Hey, what was what, based so, on what? Just he was tired. He, he was I, he was dejected. I, mean, I don't get that. Yeah. Well, he's he's come to a team that has just won back to back. Yeah. And he's pulled off two in the main rivals building. Yeah. <laughs> in Colorado. Yeah. He's won two games. Yeah. So now he's like, oh man, I don't know what I don't know what else I can do. That's so, so bizarre. Uh, I've never told that story, but I I really think if we would have. If Normie would have got the tap on the shoulder for even just game three to give Billy that physical, emotional, and mental blow, 
and put him back in for game three and let Ozzy heal some more for the finals that we, we could have gotten out of that out of that round. You can see why it was considered ludicrous at the time, though. In, in the, 100%. Like, you're in that moment. You're up 2 nothing. I still think this it's... This is the guy you traded for. Right. I, you know. And he's, and he's won two straight, and he's not injured. Yeah. He's just physically... That's emotionally, yeah, <laughs> mentally yeah, done. Right. He's just fried, which is that's crazy to me. So yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my potential three-peat story is maybe, and there's no, I mean, Normie could have went in there and lost ten to nothing. Yeah, who knows? Nobody there's no, knows. There's, no one knows what happens if you go through door Nobody number knows. two. You know, you may you may have just pitched the worst idea yeah. in the world. Who knows? But nobody knows. But that's the only time that a, a player ever told me that he was physically, emotionally, and mentally done. So we've been at so it. So I had, it was my job to pass that info on to and you coaching did. and you, management, and I did. That's their call. And I got laughed off the plane. I probably would have <laughs> laughed at you too, just in the, in the context of that moment. But the question is, after almost two hours, are you physically, mentally, and emotionally done? Are you just cooked? I have no idea. Goalies are a different breed. You'll have to <laughs> get Bill Ranford in here. I'll ask Another Bill Ranford. Guy. Maybe Bill Great Ranford guy. can give me two hours on the podcast. So, John, you've just been you're the best. I, you know, I'm already my. Uh, I was glancing over my notifications are just blowing up with my friends saying <laughs> how great you did and uh, yeah, appreciate your time. And I'm hoping I can drag you back because I could keep you here till two yeah. or three in the morning and just keep pulling stories out of you. I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to write the book, Justin. So I might as well just write the book read here. Read it to you. Yeah. Read, read me the book. <laughs> I, I want to hear all the stories. Yeah. I mean, we, there were things we talked about before, you know, going into the show that we didn't even get into just sake of time and, and getting poor Ben out of here. Yeah. Um, you know, man, you were awesome. I appreciate it. I'd My love, pleasure. Love to have you back. Nice to meet you, Ben. Thank and, you. and this has been a big night for you, your first night running the board. Uh, are you still breathing over there, Ben Augusta? Uh, well, you know, trying, trying. You're yeah. trying to breathe. A couple of mix-ups, but uh, overall, good job. Yeah. Good job. Oh, good. And, uh, good wonderful job. Wonderful interview by both of you gentlemen, for sure. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, John, uh, it's a real pleasure. This has been the Spiro Avenue Show with John Wharton. Go follow this guy on Twitter, at Johnny Wharton. I hope he doesn't get canceled before we have him back on. <laughs> Even if you do get canceled, John, you're welcome here anytime. I don't, yeah. you know, you're an opinionated guy, but I'll never For cancel sure. you. You're welcome here anytime. Thank Good you. friend of mine, John Wharton. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, Ben, I want to wrap with a little mention of our wonderful sponsor, the Michigan Peddler. Uh, they have been a supporter of us from day one with this uh, new endeavor. One of the highest rated companies in all of Michigan in any genre on Google, the Michigan Peddler, they are fantastic. They have those awesome bikes. I've done them actually in Chicago. I'm dying to get on Michigan Peddler's bikes. They are just incredible. I always see them buzzing around Detroit. They actually, I believe, are running right now, but if you want to wait a little bit, totally get it. They are uh, churning. They have enough to you know sponsor this little show, so they're doing okay somehow. So check them out, the Michigan Peddler. Great guys over there, big supporters of the show, and I uh, appreciate if you support them in any way you can. Uh, to thank them, helping us bring this content to you. This has been Justin Spiro for the Spiro Avenue Show, one of my favorites ever, just like it was the first time. John Wharton's the man, great guy, uh, just a fun two hours. Looking forward to having him back. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Spiro Avenue, Justin Spiro with Ben Augusta behind the board, back home in his boxers on his couch, Roberto Bastian, who's you know our backup to the backup. And John Wharton, kind enough to give us a lot of his time tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time 